Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Shanisha Boswell, creator of Black Moms Blog, a platform where she shares her everyday life experiences, personal perspectives, and viewpoints, as well as stories and submissions she gets from contributors. Today, she'll be sharing her birth story along with discussing her new book, Oh, Sis, You're Pregnant, The Ultimate Guide to Black Pregnancy and Motherhood. Hello, Shanisha. Welcome to the show. Yes. Thanks for having me. Oh, you have your copy of the book. That makes me so happy. I know that visually isn't going to play over well in the podcast, but if you could see it, you would understand. (laughs) We are excited, right? Right. Another more like an updated, right? Book about Black motherhood. And of course, there's room for everyone. But this, um, there are some things that really stood out and we'll get to that. So what can they Okay, because Black Moms blog is like, for us, that's where it started. I'm like, that's how I learned about all the things or what I liked or what I was like, oh, I don't want to do that or I do want to do that. Um, So just the evolution of your work and your um, community support is just, yay, wonderful. (laughs) I really, really appreciate that. It's been been an amazing journey over the last, this will be year six, (laughs) the last six years. That is insane. I can't believe that it's actually been that long. This December will be six years. Wow. Well, before we jump into all the goodness, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah. So my name is Shanisha Boswell. I consider myself a serial entrepreneur. I'm a three times business owner. I run Black Moms Blog, which is what I'm most known for. But I also have a retreat company. I'm an author and a freelance writer for different publications. Um, I have a daughter. She's one years old. We live here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm actually at her dad's house. We co-parent. So I couldn't make it home in time. We were running around doing other things. But um, I have a I have a pretty good life here. I love my daughter. She's literally I always tell her she's the reason that my entire business was created was around my motherhood to her. So um, but besides that, I love to travel. And, you know, that's where the retreat business comes into play. So I do quite a few things. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy? Yeah. So I always say that getting pregnant at 22 felt like getting pregnant in high school. And I wrote about that in OSIS. You know, it was a time when I was still very much a baby. And my friends were, you know, graduating from college, going to get their master's, traveling the world. And I'm sitting here studying hypnobirthing. And so it was kind of like the best way to describe it. It felt like an out-of-body experience. I felt like I was like watching it happen versus being a part of it. And then being a young Black woman, I wasn't married at the time that it happened. um, I felt like a statistic. And so pregnancy was, I, I won't say that it was bad, but it wasn't necessarily good. It was kind of like in the middle. Like I didn't know what to expect. So what I got was all that I knew. And I think over the years, I've learned that some of those those things weren't right in, in the ways that we might have been treated or, you know, just feeling like I was such a bad person for being pregnant at that age or, you know, that lack of acceptance. So pregnancy for me was just, it was a so-so experience. And so in that, um, you know, kind of, um, I think you said there was one um, thing I'd seen you say, like you were the first person in your like group, friends of group, your group, your friends of group, group of friends. 
not one a of group them. Of <laughs> <laughs> to get pregnant. So, um, you know, trying to figure out what do I want this all to look like? How were you preparing for birth? What did it was that something you were thinking about? You know, I look back. So I got pregnant at 22, I actually filed out on Valentine's Day. I wrapped up the test and handed it to her dad. And he was like, what, what is this? Like we were both, I don't know, we were kids. And my, my best friend told me to wrap my pregnancy test up in pink and purple tissue paper and hand it to him. And so, you know, we were, we were two kids making the best of a situation. You know, we loved each other. We were, we were in a relationship, but at that time, I mean, neither one of us expected to be parents. And so it was just like this, this huge whirlwind, right? And so looking back, I don't even know how I made some of the decisions I made during that time. Like I decided to have a natural water birth. And at seven months, the hospital that I was at did not offer that. And so at 28 weeks, I switched hospitals, switched OBs. You know, I already had my birth plan. I didn't even know what a birth plan was at that point, but I'm sitting here talking to my OB, asking her questions. And so a lot of it was just kind of like natural instinct for me. It just kicked in. And natural birth is, you know, or unmedicated birth rather is an intense process. And so being 23 years old and making a decision like that, looking back, I'm like, wow, I really was strong. And sometimes you have to tell yourself that, or I'll say, maybe not strong. I don't like the term strong black woman, but I was determined to get this done. Um, and so I look back at that time and I'm really proud of myself. And I think sometimes as moms, we have to say that, like, I'm really proud of myself for making this choice to do it this way, especially for our younger, younger girls that are 20 and 21 and 22 embarking on this for their for their for the first time by themselves um but yeah so i did the birth plan i read a book on hypnobirthing at this big book um by a woman who i think her name is ina morgan and she wrote the book on hypnobirthing and i didn't take the classes though and so I, it kind of came into play but not really <laughs> and so i just knew that i wanted my baby to be born in the most peaceful serene environment to where she would come out and feel like she was safe um and i think we accomplished it as well as we could so as you were talking about you know being a single black young mother um i think that that's something that so many black women can relate to like even married women will check to make sure they have their ring on before yes, they man. leave right <laughs> and it's yeah. like because we're dealing with this different level of scrutiny right and that everyone feels like they're being put in a box and there's nothing wrong with it right like who even invented or created these rules um but that we 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 feed into it right like we we find ourselves really wanting to be not a statistic like you said just like wanting to fit into this box that everyone thinks is proper and okay yeah yeah i i, I feel like the crazy part about that time was her father attended every single appointment we were always on time we were always well dressed we, we spoke well we did all the things and it was still this judgment and I think a lot of times, too, that we think that that judgment only comes from white doctors. These are all black doctors. And so I think in the medical industry in general, there needs to be a rewrite, some type of practice on etiquette and, and being cordial and being friendly and making your patients feel welcome, right? It's, and that perspective is not really just a black or a white thing. It's just when you're a young woman going into a doctor's office, they're automatically like, you don't have a mom because your mom wouldn't have you out here acting like this. It's automatically this judgment. And I think that when it comes to pregnancy, I'm the one that's pregnant. I already know what I did. And if I didn't feel good about it, I mean, really, now I want to jump off a bridge. So my hormones are all over the place. And so 
I really think there needs to be some more conversations when it comes to how doctors treat their patients and the nurses and the front desk staff, um, because that part isn't necessary. And I never understand why people get into a career like that and pass so much heavy judgment on mothers, especially young mothers, especially black mothers. It's, it's, an, it's just not fair. It's not right. Start it all over. We say it all the time. Recreate the whole thing. <laughs> Recreate the entire system. It is not working. Just, it's not. It's not. Um, one thing that I, I wanted to go back to was just, you know, you saying a reminder as mothers to remind ourselves of how proud we are of our decisions or things that we have done in our journey. Um, I think you know, like you get into a cycle of just doing all the things and then like forgetting, like, I'm doing this. I'm doing I'm it. Doing it. And this I've is been... not an easy do. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> this, is not, this is not one of the easy ones. And no. I, I wrote about that in the beginning of OSIS because I think one thing that I did see was missing. I didn't see a lot of affirmations in these pregnancy books. And, you know, in the first part of that book, I literally go through the first chapter, how your pregnancy happened. I'm like, your body had to do a lot. Things had to line up at the right point. Your pregnancy is not a mistake. You can do this. You will do this and you'll be great at it and you're going to be prepared. And that was a big part. I just wanted to affirm in women, like that's the biggest thing. It's like, they're so afraid and, and no one is telling them that they're going to be okay. Especially if they find themselves among the big group of us that are unmarried and pregnant. And you got people telling you that you're going to end up alone for the rest of your life and your whole life is over. And it's just like, wait a minute, <laughs> we, we got to stop this. So that affirmation part was so overly important to me to, to having women regain and sometimes gain for the first time their self-confidence, because that's a big part of it. Pregnancy is so mental. Pain is mental, right? It's a mental thing. It's not, most of the times it's not a physical touch of the skin. It's your mindset. And so if you go into something thinking that I can do this versus I'm a horrible person, I can't believe this happened, your response to it, your body's response to it is going to be drastically different. And so I knew that affirming women was going to be a major part of this process to get them to actually read through it and understand, okay, I need to be knowledgeable here. I can't stand up for myself. I'm proud. And when you're proud of something, you stand up for it. Period. <laughs> Um, okay. Tell us about your birth. <laughs> oh, my birth. So, okay. I, we live in Atlanta and I was supposed to be, my, my daughter's birth date was supposed to be October 18th, 2010, 2012. Sorry. My brain. So she was supposed to be born October 18th, 2012. She came on the 10th and I was really aiming for 10, 11, 12, because I wanted to be fun like that, but it didn't work out that way. And so the morning that I woke up, um, the day before my labor, I was just over it. I was ready to have the baby. I remember telling her dad I was going to the baby out. I'm exhausted. And so we ended up going down to my mom's house. This is about two hours from Atlanta. And, you know, if you live in the South, that's when we have our country fair, right? Our state fairs. And so we went to the fair and walked around for two and a half hours, maybe a little bit longer than that to the point where I could barely walk. And my labor, unknowing to me, actually started around two, three o'clock that morning. And I had a full 24 hour labor. So I woke up around um, nine o'clock that morning and I was like, I've never felt that before. And like some women, I didn't have pre-contractions. I didn't have, I had like the Braxton Hicks, but I didn't have pre, you know, anything. My water hadn't broken yet. 
So everything was dry down there. I didn't know what was coming. But I started to assume, okay, this is happening because my body released my fecal matter. And a lot of women don't know that. But when you go into labor, your body clears itself out. And the body is so smart because they're like, this baby's coming out. You're going to have to push from this other direction. We don't want nothing else going on there. And so my body cleared itself out and I started to count my contractions by timing them. And at that point, they were about 10 minutes apart. But once again, the beautiful thing about the body, when you're in labor and you start to count your contractions, they are so on time. I mean, it's every 10 minutes. It's not every eight. It's not every seven, then five. It's every, it's like on the dot every 10 minutes. And I remember being so amazed by that. Like I was just looking at the timer and I was like, wow, this is actually coming. And then you start to read your body. So you know, it's coming. You can feel it. Right. And so we drove back to Atlanta, which is two and a half hours back up the street. I'm still in labor in the car. We get home. We had just moved into a new home and our lease, our roof was, um, cracked by the electrician who was fixing our water pipe or something up there. So I'm in labor. We're down to like seven minutes. It's probably six o'clock at night. And there's a long crack running down my hallway. And so I'm like, women, this is why you need to prepare for all the things so that this doesn't happen to you on Labor Day. And so I went to the hospital about eight o'clock that night. And I think that when I got to the hospital, I was um, maybe like I wasn't far along. I, I just knew I was much further than I was. I might've been like three centimeters, maybe four. And I remember as soon as I put my hands on the desk at the, at the, at the nurse's station, I was like, the next time I leave here, I'm going to have a baby in my hands. And that thought blew my mind. And so in that moment, the way I con- conceptualize anything in my life, I'm like, okay, in a few days, whatever pain I'm feeling, I won't feel right. I'll have a baby. It'll be fine. And um, it was just, her father and I, my mom wasn't there for reasons I talk about in the book. <laughs> and we had the most beautiful natural labor, you know, and my baby came out um, and we had some issues with my bleeding and things like that. And thankfully nothing, you know, too bad happened there. And I came home with the baby a few days later. Very long story. Very long. <laughs> I was like trying to wrap it all up as, as quickly as I could. <laughs> No, no worries. We're here for 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 all the links because you know okay. we like we like for people <laughs> to know. <laughs> we like for people to know. Like, there's this idea that like birth just happens, right? Like, it's this short thing, and we're like, no, 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 no. It's a process. It is there are many process. layers to that process. It could be so some people is a couple of hours, some people is a couple of days, but there's you know all of it is a process. So, yeah. And know. I think looking back to like, I had a very standard labor, like I said, 24 hours, no medication, I didn't rip, you know, and so when we talk about black maternal health, sometimes I feel a little, I don't know if guilty is the right word, but I didn't have a bad labor. I wasn't in any undue pain. Um, I did have some heavy bleeding at the end. And that was a part of me seeing that they really sometimes just don't care because the nurse did express, she was like, are you supposed, is she supposed to be bleeding this much? And the doctor was like, she's fine and didn't even check. And so thankfully nothing bad came from that. But when I've heard other women's birth stories, I'm, I feel like I was lucky and I was blessed that it was such a smooth process. Even my labor, like it was not, it was intense as labor is expected to be, but we had a pretty run of the mill situation. I was, you know, I had my first bowel movement before I left the hospital and Everything just went according to plan um, in such a way that I'm really thankful for. 
we're here for normal births, right? Yeah. That's what yeah. we want. We want to hear that birth just happened the right way. Um, it was uninterrupted, that you were able to do the things you wanted to do, have the people around you that supported you in a way that made you feel comfortable for your body to do its yeah. natural work. And sometimes we get caught up in thinking that our bodies are broken in some way. And sometimes it's just the environment and spaces and people that have shifted yeah. what's going on in our bodies that don't allow us to feel safe to do just the work as it's designed. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that too, about feeling safe. Um, I think that had a big part to do with it. I always say like I have an insanely amount of faith. It's a faith that I've always had that everything's going to be okay. And I can't explain it. And I think as I've gotten older and really just started to come into my own light and not shrink back from it, I realized that my faith is a lot higher than, you know, maybe someone else's. And that's why things have kind of worked out because I do have this overall trust that this is going to be okay. So I remember even in that moment of laying in that hospital bed and I was like, if this is it, I did it. You know what I mean? No expectations. She's here. We're okay. Even going into there and saying, I'll have a baby at least in the next two days. That level of calm is what helped my body do what my body needed to do and just kind of get into it because that's how it is. You have to kind of just roll into it. And the more you resist it, the more you fight it, it's, it's going to be very difficult for you. And once again, a lot of that is just mental struggle. And so, um, yeah, like you said, I love that. Let's, we have to get to a point where we normalize normal birth. It shouldn't be, you shouldn't expect for every black woman to tell a horror story. And you shouldn't feel guilty if you don't have one. And I think more of those stories kind of need to be shared that they're not. Um, and even with the ending of Black Maternal Health Week, I walked away from it and I felt so heavy because every time I thought about it, all I kept hearing were those statistics, three to six, you know, more Black women die in childbirth. And I was like, we got to start changing that. Like the knowledge is important. The statistics are important. But how do we end it out in some joy and some hope? How do we round out the conversation with, this is where I'm happy. And that's even a note just why I leveled it the way that I did. I know the front part is pop heavy. I know it's scary. I know it's a lot. But if you can make it through that chunk, the rest of the book is so beautiful that when you walk away, you're like, I know this is what I need to be aware of. But look at all the joy that's in front of me. I didn't want to put that towards the end. I didn't want any pregnant woman to walk away with that being the, right here in her head when she went to go push or get a C-section or whatever. I want her to remember how happy she was going to be when she did this. We say that all the time around here. <laughs> Let there be joy. Let there be joy. Um, because we have so much of it. We really, really do. So you brought baby home. How was postpartum for you? Well, the early parts of postpartum, you know, postpartum? you're now in the... <laughs> postpartum the forever. Fourth trimester, right? <laughs> Oh my God. Um, so in the book, I talk about my story with my mom. I love my mother. My mom is a black mama. And I think she was preparing for my birth when I was born. So the whole time I was pregnant from the time I told her I was pregnant, all the way until about seven months was a pivotal month for me. If you haven't figured that out yet, I did a lot of things. I changed hospitals. I had hard conversations. I did all the things at seven months. And, um, when I told my mother I was pregnant, she had been planning on all the ways we were going to do all the things. This is how this is going to go. And I was like overwhelmed. I was like, whoa, I don't want any of those things. Right. And my mother and I live very drastically different lifestyles when it comes to like health and movement and activity and our, especially our mindsets. But I respect 
every part of who she is. And so once again, being 23 years old, not having the voice that I have now, not having the confidence that I have now, I didn't know how to tell her that I wanted to have a natural unmedicated birth. And the only way I was going to accomplish that is it was in a space of calm and peace and nobody was coming to the hospital. And so I had to tell her that and it was a very tough conversation, but we made it through. And I think on the other end of that, she respected me as a mother. I say all that to say, like black mamas, she was upset with me. She was hurt. She was sad. She probably cried and didn't tell me about it. But when it came to postpartum, when I tell you she was on it, she was at our house for over a week. She cooked all of our breakfast, lunch, and dinners for that week that she was there. I remember um, postpartum was just really tough on me because in my mind, I thought that birth was the hard part. I thought that once the baby was born, it got easier. And what I experienced was not really, right? You have to deal with breastfeeding and breastfeeding, you know, first day home, my breasts were engorged. You're going from a secure location of a hospital where they're wheeling the baby around, you can sleep and eat and rest to being thrown full force back into your life um, and having to figure this out. And so it felt like I had been shaken out of a dream and I struggled. I, I don't like to say I had postpartum because I think it takes away from the experience of women who've had postpartum. Um, and a lot of times we say this is postpartum depression, but not understanding how serious postpartum depression is. I think I had the baby blues, which most women get after having the baby. It's that, that little bit of sadness and dread a little bit that kind of kicks in and you're like, I feel like I'm watching my life as a fly on the wall. Um, and so that's what postpartum was like for me. It took me a moment to just really just settle into it um, and also learn how to redefine my friendships because they weren't, it just wasn't the same. My time was different. Learning how to be at home with the baby was a lot for me. And so it took, like you said, postpartum, my daughter's nine this year and I'm still figuring things out. And so for any moms that are listening, understanding that postpartum is not a six week thing. It's years. It might be, I think it took me two years to feel normal again. Two years after having a baby, I started to somewhat feel like myself again. And that was something I didn't know how to explain to anybody. I had nobody to talk to about it. It was just what I was experiencing. And like most black women, when you're moving in that way, you don't have time to stop and think about your feelings. I always say like, we talk about self-care when self-care is a privilege. The average black woman, imagine her coming home to two kids already. And she just had this baby and she's gotta go back to work in six weeks. She gotta figure out how she's about to pay for this new baby's daycare. We don't have the privilege at times to stop and, and write about our feelings and talk and figure out why this feels this way. We just have to do so it's robot mode. Um, and that's what postpartum is like for a lot of us, a lot of black women. I can't even, once again, I feel it's unfair to throw myself in that category because I had a lot of help. And that's why it was easier for me in a sense to recover, but for some women it's not. So from black mom's blog, you have now added not only the period party, but your book, of course, Oh, Sis, You're Pregnant, The Ultimate Guide to Black Pregnancy and Motherhood. Tell us about the expansion of community and support that these two offer. Yeah, so with B&B, I once again started this in 2016, 2015, one of those years. And I always forget, I'm like, what year did I start my business? It started off as an online platform. But the reason I started it was because I was a stay-at-home mom at that time. And I didn't see enough of us when I went to the parks, when I went to the play dates, the library readings. We weren't there. And if we were there, we were nannies. 
And I'll never forget, I met this woman and she was pregnant and she was a nanny to these two white kids. And we, we see each other at the playground and we started talking and she was telling me she had two other kids that were in daycare and how when she had this baby, um, the family said that she could bring the baby for like the first six months so that she had to find someone to watch her kid. So here she is watching these people's children and she's got to send her kids away. And it just, it messed me up. I was so upset about it. I, I didn't know where to help her. I couldn't have helped her if I wanted to. I was a new mom myself. I didn't know what was going on. And so in that moment, there's so many reasons why I started Black Moms Blog, but that was a part of it as well. I wanted to build community for us. And in building that community, I wanted women to not go through things like this alone. I wanted to offer, you know, moms small supplemental income, you know. Um, I don't know if supplemental is the right word. I wanted to offer them small amounts of money <laughs> that I could help with their finances. And I just wanted to build what I wasn't seeing. I wanted no other mom to go through what I went through with my pregnancy. And so that's kind of how I got started. And at first with the meetup, we would just, I was like, hey, we're going to Piedmont Park today. And this was back when Instagram used to let all of your posts be seen without the algorithm. And so we would have 50 moms show up at the park with picnic blankets and just let their kids play. And then the event started to get a little bit more sophisticated, right? And so I started doing meetups where I was traveling around the country. I went to Canada one year. We did New York, Philly, California, uh, New Orleans, and just so many places. And we would have these meetups with moms where we would just sit around and talk about what parenthood looked like for us. Um, and then I started the two initiatives, which is now what we have on Black Moms Law, which is the Nurse-a-thon for Black Breastfeeding Week and the period party with the menstrual drive that we do every February. And so both of those initiatives are programs that work to help Black women, A, with the Nurse-a-thon, do continued breastfeeding, because in our community, we, we don't. And that's due to socioeconomic, it's due to trauma around breastfeeding, our generational history with wet nursing. There's so many things that kind of tie into that. And so I wanted Black women to start to embrace breastfeeding. And for a lot of us that were first generation, who are you, when do you grow up seeing it? You know, and the other day, a friend of mine came over, she just had a baby and she has two other daughters and my daughter was there and she pulls out her breast and starts breastfeeding. And it made me so happy because the kids didn't even flinch. They were just like, oh, okay, there she is. I can't think back to one time in my life that I saw that growing up or got to experience that to where it felt normal. And it didn't, I always felt like I was doing something wrong. And so that's why the nurse-a-thon began. With the period party, once again, just destigmatizing menstrual health and starting those conversations earlier with our girls. I remember talking to so many Black women who shared their experiences about their menstrual cycle. Some of them saying, I didn't even tell my mom. I just stole her pads until I figured it out. Or I was told that I better not come home with the baby. And all these traumatic experiences that Black women were having with their bodies, I was like, I don't want that. And so when my daughter came and she asked me what a period was, I was like, we got two choices here. We could either give the fluffy answer or we could tell the truth. And in that conversation with her, I was like, more women need to hear this. And so this was our third year during the menstrual drive and the period party. And this year with the menstrual drive, we collected what it is. We collect tampon size, the menstrual cups. We collected for five different states. We did Florida, Atlanta, um, or Georgia, Texas, LA, and Denver. And we collected over 3,000 menstrual items in just a month and got to distribute them to women's shelters around the country. And so that was a really powerful, impactful part of it. I think when it comes to the book, it's once again, just I tell Black women all the time, start taking up space. Take up space everywhere. Anywhere that you can touch, I want you to take it. 
And so I realized that when it came to what we needed for Black pregnancy books, we had some, but they just weren't covering everything that I felt like needed to be covered in a lighthearted way, but still very depth in-depth knowledge. And so I wanted to write that book um, and bring in so many other Black women, so many women fed into this book. And so I always say I wrote the book, but it was a community effort that we put this together. And I don't know if you've read it, but the interviews in there are fantastic. And I just wanted, I feel like I haven't seen it. And it's my baby. So of course, I'm going to say it's the best, right? In all, in all cordiality of everybody else, it's a really, really great book. And um, it's extremely knowledgeable. And I feel like it's our new pregnancy Bible. And I want every Black woman to pick up a copy. And it guides you past your pregnancy, right? It guides you back into the self-care, it guides you into the breastfeeding, it guides you into learning how to talk to your families and appreciate and nurture your villages because we don't do this by ourselves. And so I think that in a sense, I'm only 32, but I have an old soul, I'm everybody's mama. And so I'm mommying you a little bit in this book while also being a sister and telling you, hey, it's okay, I'm right here, we got this, we're gonna make it through. And so this book is just a continuation of everything that I feel, literally, it's, it's the blog in book form. You know, it's sister circle events that I've done in book form. It's the same concept of everything. Just however you need the juice, this is where you need to go get it. If it's the book, if it's the blog, if it's an event, if it's a course, which I'm working on, if it's anything, here you go, find a way to take it in. There were certainly topics in your book that stood out to me, um, being a birth worker in a way that we do work um, from a reproductive justice standpoint. Um, seeing you talk about like gestational diabetes and really breaking it down, um, helping our people understand it's not just, you know, we think of like the sugar, like, I, oh, I don't have it. I'm fine. I'm good. Um, and it's like, no, really learning what your body does with food in general, like not just if you're eating sweets, right? Um, and And really talking about it because it's not just what your doctor says or what, you know, there are other ways to work your body to help you. So you're not on medication, but then, you know, if you need to, that you do Um, just presenting it in a way that allows people to just get that better grasp of, of how the body works. And especially during pregnancy, because it is a shift in your body. It is. It really is kind of tapping into that. In our community, food is such a uh, interesting topic, right? It's such a generational curse. I hate to say that out loud, but we don't understand that a lot of food, a lot of the ways that we eat are passed down through slavery. We didn't have certain things that we could eat. So like pig feet and uh, chitlins and, you know, all this, this fatty food. This is the stuff that white people threw out. They didn't want to eat it, so they gave it to us. And so that kind of stuff passed on through for through us and we adapted very bad diets and very bad health. Um, and I, I love, you know, I used to love going to my grandma's house on Sundays and eating, but like eating like that all the time. My, my grandmother and my aunt passed away of congestive heart failure last year at the time that this book came out. Okay. And um, it was the food. And I remember when we found out my aunt had congestive heart failure, my daughter was like two years old and they called me and told me to come home and tell her bye. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. I'll see her. I'll see her when she wakes up and surely enough, she woke up. But even looking back at that time, I remember sitting down with my aunt and telling her to change her diet. And I was like, Here, here's some smoothie recipes. Drink your greens, get up and take a walk. And this was um, six years prior to her dying. And those six years that followed, I would come home and she'd be eating 
M&M's and, and Popeye's chicken. And I was so upset, but there was nothing I can do in drinking diet soda. And so for pregnant women, you always hear that I'm going to eat for two. You're going to eat for yourself and you're going to eat for a healthy baby. You're not going to eat for two. This does not mean you get to stuff your face with anything you want. And so those two, those two parts of the book where I really dive into the gestational diabetes and the healthy dieting, I want women to understand that you create your story and it, it, food is such a, just a big part of our lives. And if there's anything you're spending money on, spend it on good food. Don't go to the McDonald's. If the, if the burger's a dollar, you need to be worried about that. How in the world is the burger a dollar? And where are they getting all this meat from for all these burgers? You know, so it's to the point where, like, I'm really big on that in my household. My daughter's eight. She eats mushrooms. She eats okra. She eats green beans. Happily, no issue. And it's a training pro- process. It's a real thing that you have to do with your kids. But so that part, super important. Um, on the part you talk about doulas and midwives and, and birth workers, there needs to be some respect on y'all's name, you know, and I feel like we, it's coming out more and I love to see it. I love that doulas and midwives are getting the respect that they're due, um, especially in our community, because birth work is our birthright. You know, it's, it's something that that's what we're supposed to be doing. Nobody else says we're supposed to be doing that. Everybody else learned from us. Right. And so, um, this is something that comes naturally to Black women in any, in any capacity, if they tap into their ancestors, if they tap into what they already know. And I feel like a lot of times when people thought about doulas, they were like, oh, she's just there to help with the baby. You know, it, 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 the, the process of what it is, is not. And when I would suggest to women, hey, don't do this by yourself. Let your partner be your partner. Your partner's not your birth advocate, okay? And I talk about it in the book. Go get somebody else. Get somebody there that looks like you, that knows your body who's going to stand up to these people and talk to them and who's going to comfort you and help guide this by this baby through your body the right way. And so it, I have so many friends that work in, in the work in the birth field. And that part was so intentional to give so much space in the book for people to really understand and appreciate um, what you do. You bring life into this world, you know, and it just wasn't, it, it has not been given its proper respect for so long. Um, that that had to be included. There was no way that it couldn't be. I couldn't write this book without talking about that. Um, another part of the book um, that, you know, we wanted to talk about was also the um, exploration of like the traditional African birth practices, right? Really um, bringing forth, I mean, I mean, you said it, that it's our birthright. Like we've been doing, we taught people how to do these things. And I remember like, you know, when I first started my doula work, I was like, what, what training can I take? Who can I go to, to do all these things and not understanding that, okay, (laughs) that a lot of it was already a part of me. Um, and that we as a community had so many practices and traditions that everybody else was, you know, sharing out that that were already a part of our community. Um, Mm -hmm. so being able to see like, no, that's ours. We're sharing it, but right. it this is a part of this is our birthright. This is a part of our our history, our lineage, um, and how we do birth work, right? And how we birth. Um, yeah. so being able to see that um shared and explored that it it starts with us. Um, we already have it. Um, and I I do want to make note of this very important fact because this is why I had Tracy Collins of National Black Doulas write that or you know, interview for that chapter. It's our birthright. It's in us. But I want to tell any pregnant mom, make sure your doula is certified. Okay. I think with the rise of social media, 
excuse me, I've seen it a few times. Women that are like, I'm doulas. I'm a doula. They never had no training. And um, there was a time when that was accepted, but now it doesn't have to be. Go get certified. You know, make sure you're hiring somebody who's certified and not just popular on the internet because there are things that while it's in our it's in our birthright, we do this. You need to go through the trainings. You do need to get certified. You need to have some births under your belt um, because this is a matter of life and death, right? And hopefully a matter of life. And that's it. And so, you know, don't get so deeply caught into this is my birthright that you don't need to go get certified. And so National Black Doulas Association is who I always recommend. Um, it's a doula, a nationally accredited, accredited doula, a doula program for Black women. And so they really go into the depth of what needs to be known. Um, so, yeah, just I wanted to make a mention of that before moving on. We're not condoning that anybody just becomes a doula and doesn't go through any training because it's in their birthright. Go get properly trained and get your letters and your numbers and all that. Whatever you need behind your name or in between your name, go do all that so that you can safely and uh, safely just deliver healthy babies. So, yes. <laughs> and there are uh, many uh, organizations by us, for us, yes. for you to pick whatever exactly. feels led to how you want to be a birth worker. Um, know that. And there are many Absolutely. places to find them. We can link them, put them in the show notes, whatever you need. Yes, please do. <laughs> yeah, there's so many. And just that part, there's so many options, y'all. Please, please take advantage of the options. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to share with listeners? I mean, they got, they can get the book and get all the other things, but is there anything else oh, yeah. here, <laughs> resources, advice, anything else from your birth that you want to leave them with? Um, I think the, the last thing I would like to say is when it comes to the book, we got pregnant by having sex, right? It was just, and normally, well, not even normally, we're ovulating. So you're already feeling hot, you're feeling sexy, you're feeling sensual, and you get pregnant. And when we have the babies, our bodies go through this crazy transformation and you no longer feel like you own your body. Your breasts aren't yours. Your nipples aren't allowed to be touched anymore. You hate your stretch marks. You don't touch yourself. You don't do anything because all you do, you've now transformed into this mother. That's your title now. I'm a mother. And just know that you're still a woman. You're still allowed to be sexy. You're still allowed to be sensual. And so in the book, in our last chapter, it's called How Sis Got Her Groove Back. And it's understanding that when we say got your groove back, it don't mean you're going to snap back. I want to get rid of that. We're talking about snapping forward. You can't be the person you used to be. You're a mom now, right? You are a mom, but you're still a woman. And so I think it's super important for women to remember that and to um, tap back into their femininity. And I always say like, you know, you always hear mom say it all the time. I'm a mom. I don't got time for that. Yes, you do. You got time for anything you put your mind to. So, you know, tap in slow, start with a bubble bath. It might feel awkward at first. It's going to feel hella awkward because you don't do that. You're going to feel like you just sitting there tapping your toes in the water. So what? Commit to it every week. I have my ritual every Sunday where I do my baths, I do my yoni steams, I do my oil treatments, I do all the things. I adorn myself, right? And so as a mom, even still you're a woman, find time for yourself. You know, do your affirmations in the mirror. Look at yourself and tell yourself you're beautiful. Look at your body. You birth a whole human. And a lot of us, you know, this book is really targeted towards millennials, 24 to 38, somewhere 36, somewhere in that, that age range. We have, God willing, 50 to 70 more years left on this earth, okay? This, this moment that we're in right now, don't let that consume you. If you're a single mom and dad isn't around, don't let that consume you. 
because you still got to raise this baby. You're going to do it in happiness or sadness, right? Choose joy. <laughs> Choose to do it in, in, in peace and love. And that relationship that didn't work out, you'll find another one. And so um, that was important for me to leave off with women, even in talking here, is understanding that your femininity, your sensuality got you pregnant. Don't lose that when you have the baby. It's okay to find her again and tap into her and love yourself and, and look at yourself and be like, I'm still the shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and I think it's also with that important for our children to see us indulging in that type of pleasure for ourselves and loving on ourselves in that way. Yeah. That it is. I told my daughter, my daughter, every time I put on makeup, mommy, you're beautiful. You don't need any makeup. You don't need makeup. And I think, I was like, I'm really bothered by this, right? And, and how do parents respond? You'd be like, you'd be like, oh, you don't need makeup because you're, you're beautiful. Why would you tell your daughters that? And like, I told her, I said, look, Mommy knows she's beautiful. I love a fresh face. And I said, when I want to go extra, I'm putting on all the things. I said, there's nothing wrong with that. I said, when you get older, you're still going to be beautiful. And if you want to put on all the things, there's nothing wrong with that. Because we're telling them two different things. When we tell them you're beautiful, you don't need makeup, you don't need to wear it. What are you saying about yourself? Because you put on makeup, does that mean that you're not beautiful? And so I think that words are so powerful because they're literally, they're the, they're the soundtrack of our lives. They're the storytellers, the orators. You know, what are we saying to our girls from early on about how they should feel about themselves just because they want to wear some eyeliner? You know, there's nothing wrong with with adorning yourself. Um, and I think that as women and as mothers, we got to be really gentle with that conversation and let them know that if you do decide to wear makeup one day, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to change your hair up, I'm combing out my locks, y'all. They're going to be gone in about three days. That's why they're so small right now. It's up to here. I'm combing them out. I've had locks for 11 years and I'm so known for my hair because it's so long and it's so beautiful. Why would you do that? Because I want to, and I'm tired. <laughs> I want to do something else. It's just hair. If I want them again, I'll grow them back out. And that felt very liberating to me to say that, you know, and so we got to teach our daughters how to liberate their voices and not feel like there's some shame because they're the only ones that have to live their life. I'm the only one that has to be present for the decisions that are made why would I allow somebody to give me a decision that they don't even have to participate in mic drop <clears throat> that's it <laughs> there's nothing left to say that's it <laughs> if you take nothing else from this episode that, <laughs> that's that the last one. bit that's the piece that's the gym that's you the must <laughs> walk away with Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, immense gratitude for your time, your, your platforms, your work, your, your voice. Um, just really thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. This is awesome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 